Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. His word from our brother, Deacon Jan. He's giving a sermon today entitled, Wisdom from Above. Wisdom from Above, Deacon Jan Kowalczyk. Good afternoon, brethren. It's nice to see you all again. And I know they haven't seen some brethren here, I would say, for five, six weeks. I think like that's what Sister Olivia pointed to me, five weeks, I think, right? Since the last time we saw each other. So it's been a long time, long time. And the reason why I missed here last week, because I travel with Pastor Murray to Detroit congregation. The reason why we travel is... There was a couple of people who live in northern Michigan, way, way up there. They live far away from anybody. And thanks to our pastor agent who worked so hard, delivering his weekly Bible study. For some reason, they find the connections, they hooked up. And from the beginning, they never missed, they almost never missed every weekly Bible study. And through all this Bible study, they came to the conclusion that there is no any other way. There is only one way. And they request to be baptized. And I want to pre- I want to actually send few words of appreciations to you, my brother. You know, if all of you think that's an easy job, it's a very difficult job. You try to provide for your family, and at the same time, you speak at the church through the weekly sermons, and you prepare for a weekly Bible study on Wednesday, and you prepare for a Sunday Bible study that goes to all over the world. If you think that's easy, then I will challenge every single man. Just, just try to prepare a little bit, 10 minutes, encouraging, encouragement words for here for each Sabbath. And many of us have a little difficulties here. So there is a challenge. And, you know, he's doing such a wonderful job spreading the words out there. And sometimes it might be discouraging because, you know, as you, as you watch on the website, you might think like, hey, there is like 13 people, 12 people watching. But I can guarantee you there is way more people watching after it when this is all done and it's recorded than during at the same time. And I know I've been the one that sometimes I just can't because of my work schedule. Some of the Wednesday I can't I can join live. I have to go after it. But through his hard work, we have a couple, two people who joined Jesus Christ and his body. And I love to be part of something like that. So I asked, I said, Brother Murray, if you're traveling along, alone, if you don't mind, I can go and accompany you on the way. It's a, such a long way, long drive forward and long drive back. So I'll just, I'll be helpful if you're just going to baptize them. You're not going to be by yourself. I'll be right there with you side by side as we're going to baptize these two people. And it, God provide everything. Beautiful facility, as we, were, as we came to the swimming pool, everything was empty. Not any single living there person, which is nice and easy, baptized them. The water was warm. And they were just so excited, just so excited to be baptized. And as Brother Agent mentioned, that we have a chance, we have an opportunity to do something good, especially for the household of God. I would challenge you to go to Pastor Moore and find their email address. And occasionally, please, Communicate with them. The area where they live, there is no one's there. If they want to travel to CJ Detroit, it will take them about three and a half hours just to get there. Three and a half hours. The closest congregations they could go would be UCG, which is about 75 miles away, and even they don't meet on a regular basis. I think it's just at like a twice, twice a month or so. So we showed, we showed to them the invitation. They said, if you come down here for a Passover, you're welcome to stay wherever you want. You know, like, no charges. Just stay with us. Food will be provided. And we will have a great opportunity to experience your first Passover ever. So they will look into it. But it was a great, great weekend, exciting weekend. As you can see, all these hardworking individuals that we have, such a small congregations, we have two pastors. And all this hard work, you know, 
seeing some fruits of the hard, difficult labor. So thank you so much for doing all this hard work to both of you. You're doing exceptional, exceptional work. And as we were in Detroit, I want to just pass greetings from the congregations there. It was so nice to see the excitement as Pastor Moore was preaching there for an hour. I can see the people, how much they were engaged in his message. And the reason why they don't see so many visiting speakers, speakers being, being there in Detroit. It's just the same people rotations over and over again. So when Pastor Moore delivered a message, it was a difficult message, but it was a very good message. They were challenged, and they accepted it. They were very excited about the message with the hear. And they actually mentioned some of the mention that he said, last time we heard words like that was when Pastor Adrian was speaking in Detroit. So that's been a, a long time, a few years now. And since then, since you left, they don't have any visitors speaking there. So murder was the first time there in 11 years delivering a sermon. So brethren praised. It was a very good weekend. Overall, it was a very good, very good weekend. Now let me go to my message today. Wisdom from above. I want to speak about knowledge. And I thank you, Pastor Agent, for taking my spot last week. I know how hard you work. I feel so bad about it. But I'm thinking, hopefully he will forgive me. And he did. And, you know, that's why I have no issues. He said, hey, if we can cover two weeks in a row, I can cover. The way how hard you work, I can cover no matter what. I'll cover. I'll take the two weeks. So I think I'll have a two-part message. It will be part one, and the next one will be part two. Have you heard about the knowledge doubling curve? Have you heard about this statement? Knowledge doubling curve. It's basically just measure how the knowledge is double over a period of time. Have you heard it? Anyone doesn't heard that? So we all, we, know, we all know what I'm talking about. So here is a gentleman. He estimated that until 1900s, human knowledge doubled approximately Every hundred years, every century, before the 1900s. Think about it. Every hundred years, our knowledge would double. But the end of World War II, knowledge was doubling every 25 years. Not a hundred years, every 25 years. Today, things are not easy to measure as it used to be. The knowledge is just growing. Wow. For example... There are different types of, you know, different fields of, 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 of knowledge, right? So we can just put them into one bag. For example, he gives an, one example he gives us here is nanotechnology. Nanotechnology knowledge is doubling every two years. From 100 years to 25 years. Now it's every two years. Nanotechnology is doubling every two years. Clinical study, clinical knowledge. Every 18 months. We double this knowledge every 18 months. So on average, they estimate that in this day and age, we're doubling our knowledge every 13 months, on average. Every 13 months, the knowledge gets doubled. Not a century, 13 months. IBM makes the prediction. He said the next decade or so, Anyone, anyone guessed how long it's going to take us to double the knowledge? Anyone? Shoot a number. One year. Six months. A little lower. Twelve hours. This is not my idea. This is just what people estimate. Imagine. Twelve hours. How does it make you feel now? Imagine, all the knowledge we study going to school and all this stuff, how does, it make you, how, how does it make you feel? Insignificant, inadequate. You know, I'm going to go even bolder. I feel like stupid. Seriously. All this progress that we make, you know, to tell me the truth. Let, let me ask you this question. Hold on. Everybody's got a cell phone, right? How many of you can confidently say that I can operate this device, let's say, at 50% of its capacity? Can you say you can operate your cell phone at 50% of its capacity? I, you know, my guess, 
And I know Jesse's going to laugh at me. I can probably operate this thing at 5%, maybe. Right? Maybe 5%. So think about it. Just the, the little device over the last, since my kids were born, 20 years. Now, this little box can hold your entire life, right? Your entire life. Let me give you another study. Just shift a little bit here. An Australian study found a few years ago that the numbers of stars, as we can see them at night, the numbers of stars, as you can see them at night, you know what the numbers is? 70 of billions, billions, millions. So, I don't even know what would be the number called. Well, let me give you a picture. So, it would be number 70. Hold on, 70, yeah, 70. And this number 70 will be followed by 22 zeros. So, think about it. If I try to write on the wall, seven zeros and 22 other zeros. So, that's the number of stars that can be visible at night to us human beings. And now, the same study says that the number of stars of the sky is greater, is larger than all the sands combined on all the world beaches. Just think about it. I just came from a beautiful Panama City beach. As I turn to my left, there is no end to it. As I turn to my right, there is no end to it. Beautiful white sand. As I was thinking about it, if the little grain of sand of all the beaches of the world is lower than on the numbers of the stars, than the numbers of the stars, Open your Bible to Psalms 147. Speaking about knowledge. Psalms 147. Psalms 147. 147, look at verse 4 and 5. So, Try to picture this number, 7-0 followed by 22 other zeros, right? For he counts the number of the stars, he calls them all by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is, what does it say there? Can we... Can we just picture it in our mind that there is a creator whose understanding is infinite? We are a finite creature. Our creator is infinite. Now, there are some scientists who estimate that we as human beings, we only use a small percentage of our brain capacity. Small percentage. They estimate that in most cases, we don't even use 10% of our brain. 10% of our brain. Imagine if we had the access to use the capacity of our intellect 100%. What we would be capable to accomplish. Now when you think about what we just read here in Psalms 147, he counts the numbers of the stars and he calls them by name. He calls them by name. I don't know about you. I go to the feast, and I get to know by name three, four, five people, and the next day I have to work hard to just recollect. The lady asks some people, hey, you know, Sister Lisa, do you remember this lady? What was her name? Or, you know, Brother Murray, you know, remember this man I talk about? What was his name? I have a hard time to remember four or five people's names. Seventy followed by, you know, 22 zeros. And name them each one by one by name. Where did you get all the names? Seventy millions of millions of millions of names. Where did you get all the names? It's amazing. It's amazing. Have you heard the statement, knowledge is power? Absolutely. Knowledge is power. And it's interesting that, you know, through the knowledge, even human beings, through our rebellion towards the Creator, 
we still, still have this tremendous capacity of this knowledge, of this creative ability. And this fact alone, from all the creatures that exist on this planet, there is no any other, there is no any other except human being capable of doubling the knowledge, no matter what the time is. Right? Some of you study science. Can you measure it, for example, how much the monkey's knowledge is double over the last hundred years? No, I'm serious. Can anybody can document it? How long it takes for the monkeys to double the knowledge? What about the hamsters? How long it takes for hamsters to double their knowledge? What about dogs? No, any other species in this entire universe that can say something like that against, or that can compare even close to human beings. That we could, you know, sit together and say, like, wow, look at the scientific data. We can double our knowledge in 13 years. We can double our knowledge in 13 hours. Very impressive. The animals cannot do it. I guess... Maybe there is a, some kind of like a missing link in the evolution process along the way. That these other creatures are not capable of doing such a wonderful thing as we human beings can do. Go to Proverbs chapter 3. And we all know, we are believers. We know where the knowledge originates from. It's not a secret. Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. And verse 19 and 20. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the depths were broken up and clouds drops down the dew. God claims the sole responsibility. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Right here, when you go to Genesis, in the first verse, in the first few verses, if you're interested, if you're interested to find out who, what, when, and how, and why, you have all the answers right here in the first few verses of the Genesis chapter 1. Right there in the beginning, if you write a book, how would you start a book? God knows. Right away, he says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right away, he says, I am the one. There's no any other else. I am the one. I am responsible for the creative parts. I created the heavens and the earth. And then later, if you want to investigate, how did he do it? By the power of his spoken word. And God said, and God said, and God said, and God said, and everything was good, and everything was good, and everything was good. In the end, everything was very good. Why did he do it? For us. Let us create man in our image. For the love for us, he created all of this. All of this. Now, Genesis chapter 2. As God made this beautiful creation, then the simple, sim- simple test comes before the first human beings. Genesis chapter 2. And we all know the story. Chapter 2, verse 15, 16. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. All the trees. All of them you may freely eat. Except one. But of the tree, what kind of tree is? It's not that any tree. What kind of tree is? But from the tree of the knowledge, the knowledge of good And evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Have you ever, ever tried to think in your mind or meditate about this thing or try to figure it out? 
how this thing really looked in reality. How does the tree look like? Was it everything about the tree or is it just, just a symbolism? Have you tried to figure it out? If, God, if there's something powerful about this tree, some special magic, you know, property of this tree that if they just touch it or just they eat it. Because some people said, I read it, some people said it, that what happened at this time when Adam and Eve, when Eve took the fruit of this tree, that what happened as they tried it, as they tried this fruit, that all this tremendous amount of knowledge was done for, or download, let me use today's language, was download from this tree to the first human being. And not just any knowledge. Any knowledge when it comes to the good knowledge and at the same time to the bad knowledge. That's how some people interpret this part. Was something magical about this tree, so they tried to eat this fruit, all this knowledge just passed on them, and they were just overwhelmed by it, and they didn't know how to behave. That's one explanation. But we know for sure that, you know, as the tree cannot give you life, the tree cannot give you knowledge, the tree cannot give you wisdom, there is only one person who can do that. And it's God by himself. It's God who can give you eternal life. The fruit of the tree cannot give you eternal life. So that's some food for, so that's some thoughts for food. The way I, I look at this tree, knowing of good or evil, it comes to one simple word. You know what I would say? Obedience. Obedience was tested. Obedience was tested. It came for the first human being. God wanted to know how they're going to react. What is it in their heart? And the same thing applies to us. Every single one of us. Before we're going to have this eternal life in us, we need to be tested. There is no eternal life before testing. Let me, let me show you some examples. What am I thinking this? What really happened in the garden? And I give you some Old Testament scripture. Second Samuel. Second Samuel chapter 14 here. We all know that since that since that day since that day one thing is for sure one thing is a fact that as a human being we are capable we are capable to do the most wonderful things on this planet you can see sometimes in disaster we can see in oppression people are capable to do the wonderful things to one another also we as a human being we are capable to do the most horrific evil to one another. And we can experience it on a daily basis. Evil versus good. Since that day in the Garden of Eden, till this day. That's a fact. Second Samuel chapter 14. The knowledge of good and evil is about testing obedience. Testing one character. Testing what's inside you, what is inside your heart. Before you make a discernment. Before you can make a judgment. Before you can apply your knowledge to things. Second Samuel chapter 14. And I don't have a time to go into this woman of Tekoa here. I'll just read that scriptures here quickly. And just take whatever I need. Just to show, me, just to show you my point. Second Samuel chapter 14 verse 16. So th- this woman comes to the king's David. She needs a favor from king. For the king will hear and deliver his maidservant from the hand of the man who would destroy me and my son together from the inheritance of God. Verse 17. Your maidservant said, the word of my Lord, the king, will now be comforting for us the angel of God. So is my Lord, the king, in what? Look what it says here. So is my king here in what? Discerning good and evil. Why was David Discerning was able to discern good 
and evil. He was man after God's own heart. He had love for God's law. He was obedient to the God's law. Through the obedience, through the total sacrifice to God's law, through the spirit of time, he was able to judge properly between what is good and what is evil on the other hand. Let me give you another example here. First King chapter 3. This time is about the young Solomon. First King chapter 3. He's a king. He's dedicating the temple. And he is praying to the God here. First King chapter 3. And look here in verse 7. Now, verse 7. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David. But, uh, but I am a little child. He's able at this stage to admit he's not mature enough to discern between good and evil. He says, I'm just a little child. Do not, I do not know how to go out or to come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen. A great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. In verse 9, therefore give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people and look what it says here. That I may discern between what? Between good and evil. That's what Adam was lacking. His discernment was not there. What God said, you know, I'm just giving you one command. I just want to see how obedient you're going to stay towards me. And based on your obedience, we'll see how far you're going to go. Let me give you the last one. Deuteronomy. So, as I mentioned, this is my opinion, so, but I think I can substantiate it with the Word of God. So I would say it's a little bit more than a speculation. Deuteronomy chapter 1. And this scripture just came up during the feast that we were studying together collectively that I was going through the book of Deuteronomy. And verse 39. And again here. As you can see, the old generations, God just destroyed all the warriors, men capable of fight, who refused to enter the Holy Land. Look here at verse 29. Moreover, your little ones and your children, verse 39, who you say will be victim, who today have no knowledge of good and evil, they shall go in there, to them I will give it, and they shall possess it. Again and again. The proper discernment of what is good and what is evil, it comes through the obedience of the word of God. That's it. Now. In Genesis chapter 3. Just go back here. The, how clever was Satan. Genesis chapter 3. And verse 5. And look. Satan is speaking here. It says verse 5. For God knows that in the day you eat of your... The day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What a lie. What a lie. God is capable of knowing what is good and evil, but God, because of his love, is able to discern what is good and what is evil. And Adam was not ready to discern what is good and what is evil, and he fell for Satan's lie. And you know what's, what's so interesting about it? When God created Adam, he put him in a special place. And, you know, my confession, before I, before I went to see the Noah's Ark on the way back from the feast, there's a beautiful ark, huge. And when I, when, when I look at those oldest display, it came to my mind as these people were saying, these people living long time, pre-flood areas, they were not stupid people. They were very intelligent people. Capable of doing amazing stuff. And you know, as a monument today, you can look at the pyramids. They were built thousands of years ago. Scientists today still trying to figure out how they did all this work without using any major tools. It's still a huge enigma for them. So now here, Adam. Think about it. God said to him, I want you to name all the animals. How can you name all the animals if you can't speak a language? You need to know a language to name the animals. What language was he speaking? I guess language understandable that he was able to communicate to God on a daily basis. He was a very intellectual person. 
very smart person. It was the first human being. Very intellectual. Not just the way how, you know, I used to think. I used to think that, you know, because of this evolutionary concept, the stupidity that crept into the human, human mind, we think that when, you know, people evolve from something like, you know, monkeys towards whatever, so we see like, oh, we just get smarter along the way because of the evolutionary process. That's not true, because dogs don't get smarter. Hamsters don't get smarter. We have this capacity, we have this intellect. We just need to find out how to use it. That's it. God gave us. You know, we resemble our creator. We create in his own image. Right? So here in this story, what is so interesting, God created this human being. He put him in a special position, and he said, I want you to be in charge of my creation. The field of the beast, you name it one by one. And you know what? It was the field of the beast that deceived him. In the form of serpent. Serpent. Think about it. If he would exercise his capabilities of his brain, God told him, I want you to rule my creation. Don't listen to any advice. This is just a created thing. And you are sitting on top of them next to me. And he listened to the advice of who? Of a serpent. Of a created thing. And look at today's world religions. How many religions today worship what? Creations. Moon. Sun. Animals. You name it. From the beginning, from that moment, every single one wants to worship the creation. And Adam fell. Instead of being a king, I wanted to say he abdicated his throne, but that wouldn't be a true statement. He had to leave it. He had to be punished. Because he was unable to rule the creation. As we study all of this thing, what about us? What about us? Do we need to be obedient? Do we have an example in the scripture? Absolutely, we do. Let's go to Philippians, Jesus Christ. Let's look at Jesus Christ's example and compare the first Adam and the second Adam. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, and look at verse 8. Philippians 2, verse 8. Jesus Christ. And being found in appearance as men, Jesus Christ humbled himself, and what? And became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Discerning the good and evil, everything is about being obedient, being fully obedient to God the Father. That's what it's all about. Now, when Jesus Christ came to this earth, there is another misconception. Some people say, because he was, you know, fully divine person, when he was born as a baby, he had already everything in his mind. He was just smart and intelligent, and he could do all this judgment just because God gave it to him. Really. Let's see what the scriptures has to say. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And we all know the story. That when Christ was young, he traveled for the feast to Jerusalem, and he stayed behind. His parents were looking for him. But here, in chapter 2, and let's start from verse 49. And Jesus Christ, and he said to him, they found him in the temple, and he said to them, why did you seek me, Jesus answered. Did you, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Verse 50. But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth. Look, verse 51. This is, this, this is amazing. To Nazareth and what? And he was what? He was subject to them because he was a child. 
He was already learning how to be obedient as the little child. He's, he knows already at his intellect, he's progressing so far, he knows that his mom and dad might not fully get it. But because they're a mom and dad, I am fully obedient because I'm subject to that and I'm applying by God's way of life. Christ at his little age. And keep reading. But his mother kept all these things in, his, in her heart. Verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God in man. What? He increased in wisdom? I thought he was divine. He came like that, fully loaded. I guess not. He had to learn something throughout his life. He had to prove something to his father. Maybe he was worthy to sit on this throne and govern the entire creation, the entire universe. Let's keep digging. Hebrew chapter 2. Hebrew chapter 2. Verse 10. Hebrew chapter 2 and verse 10. For it was fitting for him. Who is him here? Who is him? For it was fitting for God. For whom, all, for, for whom are all things. And by whom are all things. In bringing many sons to glory. Look what it says here. To make the captain of their salvation. Jesus Christ. To make the captain of their salvation, Jesus Christ, perfect through suffering. All them. What has suffering to do with obedience? Everything. Everything. If you try to stay obedient to Christ, to God, you will experience suffering. To some degree. You will, whether it will come from your family or from your neighbors or from your work or from anybody, you will experience suffering. How is it possible to accomplish perfection? By what way? Only by suffering. If you suffer, And you stay obedient. Because you have this will of God in you. Then you're going to learn how to be obedient to the death. That Jesus Christ got a special treatment from God, right? He was his son. He was the only begotten son. Did he, because of that, get a special treatment? Hebrew chapter 5. Hebrew chapter 5 and verse 8. Though he was a son, he should receive a special treatment, right? Because he was a son. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Verse 9. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation. What What does it say here? To all who obey him. Really. I thought that we as a Christians we don't have to obey. Obedience through suffering. For what reasons? To challenge you. If we can discern what is good and what is evil. So we always going to make the right judgment, the right discernment. Not just in your life, but in your family, in your church life, in your workplaces. No matter where you go, you'll be ready. Now, Hebrews chapter 4. If Christ was had to increase in knowledge, if Christ had to increase in, in, in being favored with God and man, if Christ had to be perfect, Christ had to be a sacrifice, Christ had to learn obedience through suffering, what about us? Can we just say that, you know, hey, I'm just going to get attached to this wagon and I don't have to do anything. Is that how it is? And because I can attach to Jesus Christ, God will say, hey, Jen, there you go. Eternal life. Agent, boom, eternal life. You know, Sister Olivia, boom, eternal life. No matter what you do. 
Tested, proven, not. Doesn't matter. Eternal life, eternal life. What's the point? Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 15. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, and yet without sin. What temptations did Adam go to in the Garden of Eden? What temptation did? What temptation did he go through? Compare what temptation our Lord went when he was sent to the wilderness. Remember how Satan tempted Jesus Christ? Worship me. I'll give you all the kingdoms. Adam didn't have to do too much anything there. Oh, if you just eat this fruit, you'll be like a God. Don't worry. Take it. Not a big deal. Jesus Christ, he went through a horrific temptation. Horrific death. And stay obedient to his father to the end. And that's why he's our high priest. Do we have to be like him? Do we have to strive to be like him? Do we have to be perfect as his father in heaven is perfect? Or would you say we can't? Because it's impossible. It's impossible for human beings. So just forget about it. Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, in verse 6, actually pick up from verse 5. Romans chapter 2, verse 5. But in accordance with your hardness and your impatient heart, you are a treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Verse 6. Who will render to each one according to his deeds. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good. Seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth. But obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. Tribulation and anguish. On every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Verse 11. Why? For there is no partiality with God. Whether you're obedient and you stay truthful to God's law or forget it, you can't have eternal life. This is not a gift that could be treated so lightly. Why I'm telling all of this thing? Because, brethren, everything is about knowledge. Everything is about knowledge. The knowledge from above or the earthly knowledge. Everything is about the knowledge. And we have millions of people today, billions of people today, who associate themselves to be Christ-like. Right? Christ-like. Christians. Most people on the Protestant side They'll say, salvation by grace. There is nothing you can do about it. There is no, if you try to work it out, it's not God's work, it's your work. It can be salvation. Think about it. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. What are the results today of Christianity that protested so hard in the 15th centuries? What are we reaping now? Look at North America. Evangelical Christianity is not America. The strongest, the more conservative branch, they divorced one-to-one or 50%. Even more than outside the church. The deceptions, the fighting, and all the other stuff. Where does it go? Why? Because for all these years, people were taught in the churches, there is nothing you can do about it. Just claim Christ, pronounce his name, and you're saved. You have eternal life. There is nothing you can do about it. That's what we're reaping today. The consequences. The right knowledge, the divine knowledge, and the earthly knowledge. It's important 
to abide by the right knowledge. See, the proper knowledge, the proper knowledge will lead us into proper obedience. And I want to repeat again, Brother Agent's statement. He said, the knowledge or the right doctrine will lead into the right behavior. So, I'm going to expand a little bit. The godly knowledge will lead into the right doctrine. The right doctrine will lead into the right obedience. And the right obedience will stir up the good behavior. Is it okay if I say it like that? Is it okay if I borrow your statement? I think it just makes perfect sense. Look at the little kids. Example from our families. You don't try to explain to little kids when they are two years old or three years old, you know, why it's not good to touch a hot stuff. Don't explain to them because they're not capable. What you say? Don't touch. Don't do this. Don't do that. That's the first thing the children learn. Just don't, 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 and don't. When it comes to Christianity, what's the first thing we learn? We learn commandments. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. As we grow over the time, commandments are just the commandments. They're engraved in our hearts, in our minds. But now we learn why we obeying these commandments. What's the reason behind it? The same gives us Christians. If you come to Christ and you say from right away that we don't need to obey God's law, you set yourself for disaster right away. Right away. How can God, how can merciful God, who put his son through such a suffering, just grant you the eternal life, just, you know, because I have the claim in Jesus Christ and I have this eternal life. How is that possible? Explain it to me. James chapter 3. which is, was read today by Brother Andrew today. Let's go, let's go over the scriptures one more time. Slow down a, bit, a little bit. James chapter 3. And in verse 13. And try to, if of you, each of you try to apply this thing, what James is writing, to your own life. James chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Do you really think that you're wise? You really think that you know, you're so understanding. You so know the scriptures. You know so everything. You know, you think you got it. Right? If, you, if you're one of them, that you really possess all of this thing, just keep reading. If you're the one, let him show. If you're so wise, let him show by what? By good conduct. By good conduct, that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom, or in humility of wisdom. Are you that why? Are you the one that you're so smart? Are you the one that you have so much wisdom? Are you the one that you know have so much knowledge you can contain yourself? You know we gotta go everywhere and say to all the people what you know. Doesn't matter if it's right or not right because that's what you think about it. Think about it. Do you exercise the humility? Do you have the right wisdom? Where is this wisdom coming from? Okay, where is this wisdom coming from? Down in the meekness of wisdom. Verse 14. What is the motive that you do all this stuff? Why you do all this stuff? Verse 14. But you have bitter, bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts. Do not boast and lie against the truth. Because James says, because this wisdom, verse 15, he says, if you operate on this level, the James is telling you, that this wisdom does not descend from above. If, if you have as a self-motivation in your heart, because you want to divide somebody, because you know, you're seeking your own agenda, because you want to do this thing, because if you forget good about it, it's not about the congregation, it's not about your sister, it's not about your brother, it does what you do, you entertain your, in, your, in your thoughts, James is saying, this wisdom is not coming from above. At all. This wisdom do not descend from above. But it's earthly, it's sensual, and what? And demonic. You see where it's come? Right from the garden. It's demonic, insensual. Oh, you hurt my feelings. You know, you hurt my feelings. 
That's it. I'll be not coming to church anymore because you hurt my feelings. Brethren, feelings are very important. Feelings are part of our life. As much as we might be hurt an hour, as much as we might be hurt for a day, at the end of the week, the word of God prevails. And you adjust. You adjust. You conform to the will of God no matter what. If you operate by the wisdom that comes from above. And verse 16. Look at this. For where envy and self-seeking exist, what's the first result of all of this? Confusion. Confusion. What we believe. Oh, we just don't care what we believe. We don't even know what we believe anymore. Confusion. And every evil things are there. If you motivate yourself, if the greatest motives in your heart is just your self-seeking, and you don't care about your other brothers and sisters, then you know what? We are at the wrong place. We might, we might be deceived. When we think that we're going to be first fruits in the first resurrection, you know, ruling this world, when our hearts are wrong. It's impossible. I, I just don't see how is that possible. Verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first what? It's first pure. Then peaceable. Then it's gentle. Then it's willing to yield. Then it's a full of mercy. And good fruits. Without partiality. And without hypocrisy. How we communicate. Are we talking to one another because I feel obligated. Because I have to talk to one another. Because it's not nice. Or you feel this heart. Feeling is your heart that I love you. I want to talk to you. What is motivate you? What is motivating your heart? I can make this decision. Do you know? I can judge you. Appearances might be great. But what's inside your heart, God knows. We might not know. God knows. Why are you here today? What's the reason you came here? To rehearse. To rehearse. To be part of the holiness that is coming up. What are we rehearsing here? We have to talk. We have to ask ourselves all these questions. And... How is your wisdom today? With all the scriptures that we cover. How is your wisdom today? How wise are you today? How would you say how wise you are? After all these years. If I would get a. If I would get a peek. Into your device. Just have a look. And look at your history. What do they find here? How much time you spend on the social media? How much time is you spend on a Google searching some useless things that have no relevance in your in your life? If I look at your bank account. Where is your money going? What things you like to spend your money? To gratify yourself? To make yourself feel good? Or preaching the gospel? Or give to a church? I'm not saying I'm perfect. If you have a look at my phone, actually, you wouldn't find much there. But it's just a question. We need to ask ourselves every single day, every single week. And why is this so important, brethren, to have this right wisdom? There are two. Just like there are two ways. One way that leads to eternal life and one way to, to lead to eternal destruction. There are only two wisdoms here. The, the one that gives you all the information that will lead you to eternal life 
And there is the earthly, the demonic knowledge that's going to bring you to the eternal destruction. I want to show you some, share some scriptures here with you. About how we should be smart. Trying to find the correlations between these two, two wisdoms. First Corinthians chapter 1. First Corinthians chapter 1. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of, this, of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. What is this quote coming from? Any guesses? What's the book most quoted in the New Testament? Of course, it's the book of Isaiah, right? That's where this coming right, right from. Verse 20. What is, the, what is the wise? What is the scribe? What is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this word? For since in the wisdom of God, the word through wisdom did not know God. It pleases God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greek a foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greek, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom. See how powerful it is? For us to make sure that we operate on the right wisdom, on the right knowledge, on the right understanding that comes from God. Not on the the other ones, the wrong ones. Now, Romans chapter 16. No, 1 Corinthians, I apologize. Just one more. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And then we'll go to Romans. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, just one, one, one scripture here. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 20. And look, Paul, how he's writing to the Corinthians. Verse 20. Brethren, do not be children in your understanding. You need to grow up. Don't be like kids all the time, that you have a hard time to discern what is good and what is evil. You're incapable to discern what is good and what is evil. And he says here, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. Let me read you the same verse from the NIV version. And it brings more clarity to me. The same verse from NIV version. Brothers, brothers, stop thinking like children. In in regards to evil, be infants. Had nothing to do with, with it. Don't even touch it. Don't research it. Don't even come close by. Kick it out. Run away from it. Just be like infants. You have no knowledge of it. You don't want to know it. I don't want to touch it. But he says, in, but in your thinking, be like adults. Have this mind, capability to discern that, hey, there's something not right here. Why is it not right? Oh, I got it. I've sinned. Let me repent. Let me correct the situation. What is the motive in my heart that I do all of these things? What's at the bottom of my heart? Now, Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. And here at verse 19. Romans chapter 16 and verse 19. Paul concludes his letters to the Romans and his writes in verse 19. For your obedience has become known to all. Great, you're doing a fantastic job. Therefore, I'm glad on your behalf, but, but, I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. Again, let me read you the same, the last, last part of this verse from NIV version. NIV version. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Again and again. Again and again. Don't touch it. If it's evil, 
don't try to figure it out just thinking like, wow, let me go and understand what this thing is all about. Don't corrupt your mind with stuff like that because it can harm you. It can not just harm you. It can destroy you. Run away from it. As far as you can. Don't entertain your thoughts, your mind, your brain on evil things. We are capable. We have this brain, this intellect that God gave us. Everything is possible in our minds. If there will things come into your mind, don't entertain ideas like that. Think about God. Think about something else, whatever you can. So you can all these evil thoughts, push it away from your mind as far as you can. And now, I want to conclude here. There's only part one. The part two will come the next week. What I want to do the next week, I want to separate, I want to take it apart. There's three, there's, there's three things. I want, to say, I want to talk about what is knowledge, what is understanding, and what is wisdom. I want to draw it apart. I'll show, show you how each of this is very important to all of us. And I want to show to you why God put us in the body of Christ. Because we, on the individual level, we are not capable to possess all three of them at the same time. And I want to show you this next week if you come to church service. Daniel chapter 12. Let's conclude here. I thought it's going to take a little bit shorter than it that it's supposed to be, but here, five more minutes, maybe seven. Daniel chapter 12. And verse 4. Daniel, Daniel chapter 12 and verse 4. It says, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. We're living a very interesting time now. Very interesting time. The migrations, the, like, like, like Brother Agent said today, absolutely it's true. Last time we had a massive migration like that in Europe, horrible things happened. So we, we, we are about to experience something. The shake-up on a, such a scale that who knows what's going to be the end of it. I know we all hope that that's where Christ is going to come again and rule this, this universe and impart us with all this wisdom that we need to learn from God. But here, think about knowledge. I'm not saying, I'm not against earthly knowledge. Not at all. It's good to double your knowledge. It's very good. But, let's say the amount you spend trying to figure it out, how the satellite works, is great. You can make a new innovation. But at the end of it, if you don't come to God, at the end of it, if you die, you're just nobody. You're just dust of the earth. You might think of a device that can improve uh, millions of people's lives. Awesome. Great. It's not going to urge you, earn you eternal life or salvation. At the end of your life, you're done. You might make a huge progress in medicine. Let's say in the next 10, 20 years, we're capable to, let's say, extend our life, prolong our life for, let's say, another 20, 30 years. So let's say we live up to 120 years on average. What is that compared to seven zero and 20 other zeros to the start up there and God knows them one by one? What is that to compare to all the other stuff? 120 years. It's just like, you know, I remember stuff when I was seven, eight years old. And now I've, I passed the middle of my life. And, you know, if, I, if God grant me to live, let's say, like Brother Gord or some other, I can even vent in my mind that I can live to be 90 years old. Like, you know, Jennifer, like your father. I can't even, I, I don't even think I'll be able to live knowing my, knowing my family history. Actually, I have a hope my uncle is almost 90 years old, so maybe, maybe we'll see. But what I'm saying, the earthly knowledge is good. It helps us. Imagine just this device alone. We can talk, we can text, we can do all this stuff, being far apart. Far apart. On the other continent, we can still, you know, communicate with one another. There's a good thing that comes with this. You know, car. In the next 10 years, 15 years, most of the cars on the roads will be self-driven cars. You know, you come to church, you can see properly, you just go to your car and say, hey, drive me to church. There we go. You just sit and study your Bible on the way to church. And the car will pick the shortest distance or whatever you want, the fastest one, whatever you desire. You won't have to do anything. Just sit and enjoy your ride at the same time. So the knowledge is increasing. This is beautiful. But this knowledge will not get you anything. Look at verse 10. Daniel chapter 12, verse 10.
through all this time, all this increasing in knowledge and everything, God knows exactly what is going on. God knows exactly what is happening. Look what he says to Daniel. Many, many shall be purified, made white, and refined, by the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. But the wise, the wise, the wise shall understand. Are you the wise? Or are you the foolish one? Are you govern your life by the wisdom from above? Or are you govern by the wisdom that is earthly, that is demonic, that is sensual? Or which wisdom you govern your life? Let me finish this long one more scripture here. Second Peter chapter 3. Well-known scripture. Everybody knows the scripture. Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3. And I'll finish today here. Verse 17 and 18. You therefore, beloved, since you know this before, beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your steadfastness, steadfastness being led away with the error of the wicked. Watch out. Watch out. Use the wisdom from above. Verse 18. But grow. In grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Grow. What kind of wisdom you are supposed to grow? But before you start growing in knowledge, what's the first thing here? Grow in grace. Be graceful to one another first. Be graceful. And then as you're being graceful to one another... Grow in the knowledge of what knowledge? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because only this knowledge can bring you eternal life. God bless you. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.